Thank you, Alan. Bridget, Phil. Good evening. Phil, I'm, I'm getting a bit of a, a thing about this. Three or four weeks ago I preached and somebody said to me in the morning, is it going to be part of the inspirational stories? And I said, no, that was last week. If you want to be inspired, that was last week. <laughs> this morning somebody asked me the same question. Is it part of the inspiration? No, inspiration was last week. <laughs> if you wanted inspiration, that was last week. Anyway, never mind. Good to be here. I thought, um, as you know, I come from a liturgical background, so I'm not going to miss out on Palm Sunday. So I thought I'd speak about Palm Sunday. And I want, uh, if you want to turn it in your, in your Bibles, to Luke chapter 19. And uh, just read the story of, uh, of Palm Sunday. I think the words will come up on the screen, yeah. From verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found, just as he had told them, as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near to the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day that what would bring you peace... But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you on on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. Father, we pray that you would bless these words to us that you would speak to our hearts and minds your word for us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So it was uh, Palm Sunday and Jesus coming into Jerusalem, he was riding this amazing white stallion kicking up a cloud of dust as he rode into town. He was looking for trouble. The people he passed were struck by the awe of this beautiful animal, but even more struck by this amazing character who was riding it. There were bad guys on the loose, and Jesus had a job to do. He rode into Jerusalem. He sized up the situation, 
formed a plan, captured the ringleader of the troublemakers, threw him into jail. It was a short fight, but the, ne- the outcome was never in doubt. Jesus easily defeated, handcuffed all the bad guys, and threw them into jail. As a loud, large cry, a crowd of people gathered to see what the commotion was about, Jesus mounted his horse, pulled the reins, his white stallion stood on its hind legs and neighed loudly. When he stood as tall as he could, Jesus leaned forward, holding the reins in one hand, lifting his hat in the other. He rode off into the sunset and the music began. Now, if I was doing it, that's how I would do it. Or perhaps I've been watching too many westerns. But that's not the way. That's not the way that Jesus uh, did it. It was, in essence, the, in some senses, it was exactly the expectation that many in the crowd had on that uh, Palm Sunday. That was what they thought the Messiah was going to do, that the Messiah would ride on, ride in on this white horse, throw out the Romans, overthrow and start his own government. That's what they thought. That was the view that people had. And Jesus didn't follow the script. Jesus didn't do what they expected him to do. Everybody knew that the Messiah would be enthroned as a king in Jerusalem. And and, and the prophecies that speak, speak of things like that. The Messiah would come in, in power and glory. But they forgot the bits where it said, actually, first, he comes humbly on a donkey. You can just imagine the scene, perhaps, in, that, uh, in Jerusalem at that time. It was uh, a really important time. The, the Passover feast was about to begin, and the celebrations uh, were beginning to start. And um, the historians tell us that at this time, that tens of thousands of people would have been piling into Jerusalem. And uh, there was, there was a, a, a time of, it was a time of expectation, things that people were hoping and longing for something to happen, that God would do something. Uh, they'd been under the, the rule of the Romans for some time, and they just longed for God to act and, and to do something. And here was Jesus, this man who had performed some amazing miracles. You know, he'd just uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. Everybody would have heard about that. And people would have started to think, maybe the time has come. Maybe this is it. This is it. This is the time. Maybe Jesus is the one that we've been waiting for. So it's difficult for us perhaps to, to grasp the mood of that time, that longing that people had in their hearts and that sort of sense that Jesus may be. The people were excited, they were pumped up, they were wanting and waiting and hoping for something to happen. And into this sort of cocktail of, of things, Jesus rides this donkey. And that's why we get the crowds to start. They start praising and and celebrating and singing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The words that are about the Messiah. As we just think on that and as we move now into Holy Week and as we move from the the crowds that shouted blessed be the name of the Lord to the crowds that shouted crucify him, crucify him I want just to to dwell on 
on that scene and maybe just pick out, I just want to pick out four things, if you, if you need to count them as I go, just four things that we might take from this story that would help us as we follow through the, the, the Holy Week story. And the first thing about this passage is that at the heart of it is obedience. And I, and I put in my notes, it's obedience, brackets, doing what Jesus says, even when it don't make sense. Close brackets. We see in the story that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. It says in that first verse, chapter after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. He was determined. He was focused at this point on doing what he needed to do. He's steadfast, setting out for Jerusalem to do what he needed. He never lost sight of that goal that he was heading. He, he constantly told his disciples, the Son of Man will go to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. And here is Jesus recognizing that the time is close and he sets his mind being obedient to what God had called him to do I love this I read this in a commentary this week where the commentator writes he said forget any suggestion that Jesus was trapped erase any theory that Jesus made a miscalculation ignore any speculation that the cross was a last ditch attempt to salvage a dying mission for if these words tell us anything, they tell us that Jesus died on purpose. No surprise, no hesitation, no faltering. The journey to Jerusalem didn't begin in Jericho. It didn't begin in Galilee. It didn't even begin in Bethlehem. He writes, the journey to the cross began long before. As the echo of the crunching of the fruit was still stand, sounding in the garden... Jesus was leaving for Calvary. I love that. Jesus, obedient to the call of his Father, sets his face for Jerusalem. But we don't just see here the obedience of Jesus because we're told that he calls two disciples and sends them on a special assignment. He says, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you'll find a colt there that no one's ever ridden, untie it and bring it here. And if anybody says, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. You wonder what those disciples were thinking as they're making their way, looking for the, for the colt, looking for the donkey. And we're told they went and found it. Jesus had spelled it out specifically for them. He told them where to go, what to find, and what to say. And they did it. So you can just imagine the conversation. And yet, they did it. And I love their immediate and exact obedience that they did exactly what they were told to do. They went and found this cult, and when somebody came and said, why are you taking it? They said, the Lord needs it. And they brought it. Were it that we were that obedient? They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know... Um, that Jesus was going to ride this into Jerusalem, but they did it. They didn't know what they were going to find or how they were going to find it. 
The disciples obeyed without asking questions. Just imagine that not only, only a few days before this, they were arguing about who was going to be sit at the right hand in the kingdom. They, they thought they were going to go into Jerusalem. Jesus was going to form his government and they were going to be sitting at the table. And yet here he is saying, no, I want you to go and get this donkey. And yet they did it. I know there have been times in my life where, where I've just felt God call me to something and my, my reaction is, really? Why would I want to do that? What do you mean? And yet here they are. Amazing thing is that they're obedient. There's a challenge for us. Are we as quick and as willing to obey, even when we don't understand everything that's going on? Because the amazing thing about Jesus is that he obeys when he does know what's going on. So this theme of obedience runs through the story. The second uh, theme is the theme of, of generosity. Open brackets. Give what Jesus wants, even when it isn't easy. Close brackets. There were, as we look at the story, there were at least four gifts on this day. The first was uh, the colt that Jesus, uh, Jesus rode. Road. Now, they were not cheap things. Now, we're actually told in the story that the, the cult had owners. It was you know, like something that uh, perhaps a, a village would own between them, or certainly you know, a, a, an extended family would own between them. It would be a working animal, it'd be important. And yet, they gift it to Jesus. They say to the disciples, yeah, go on, take it. It's the gift of the donkey. And then as, uh, as Jesus rides in Jerusalem, we are told that, uh, that they lay their, their coats before them, for him. They give him, they, they make his, his path and the path of the donkey easier. Now it would have been, you know, there's no tarmac roads at this time. You know, they are rocky paths and laying their cloaks down. They were gifting their clothes. They were taking the clothes off their back. And yet they gave it. Rolling out the red carpet in some respects it might be seen. They recognised Jesus was important and they afforded that honour. The third was the laying of the palm branches on the road. These were somebody's palm trees that were being cut down. And they would have had to have gone and cut them down and taken them and, and, and used them and waved them and, and spread them on the road. It's the gift of the colt and the cloaks and the branches that all point us to who Jesus is. The colt was expensive, the cloaks were essential, the branches were an expression of joy. Here is a, a principle, if you sense, is that 
that God uses, can make use of anything that we own. Is he longing for us to give him something that's essential to us? There's a, there's a challenge for gift day. To actually give him something important that we might hold back. And of course, the fourth gift is the gift of praise. As people, as, he, as the crowds begin to build, they begin to celebrate. They begin to praise. They offer praise. Hosanna. Hosanna is a, is a prayer. It's a plea, actually. It actually means save us. Often we, we see it sort of alongside, you know, there's Hosanna and there's Hallelujah. They sort of mean the same thing. They don't. Hosanna is a, an ancient cry that God would come and save us. And they cry out in praise to Jesus. Save us. It's a feeling of celebration, of adoration, of, of praise. The, the Pharisees, I love this bit, where the Pharisees sort of uh, rebuke Jesus and say, you know, do you know what they're saying? And he says, yeah, I'm not going to shut them up. Because if they stopped, the stones would cry out. And that would have been the very first rock concert <laughs> I bet if you remember nothing else tonight that will be it <laughs> they offered their praise they, they brought that sacrifice of praise generously giving of God all that they had including their praise this story speaks of the generosity as people offer this to God. The third thing is the whole thing about compassion. Brackets, feel what Jesus feels, even when others don't. Close brackets. As Jesus makes his way down the mountain, in, he sees the entire city of Jerusalem in front of him. Must have been a stunning view. But Jesus saw it differently. The mood shifts, and we're told that as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept. There's only two or three times in the gospel that we hear about Jesus weeping. One would have been at Lazarus's tomb where he wept for his friend. And here he is weeping over the city of Jerusalem. You can just imagine the parade stops. Jesus stops. And he sheds tears. And the word here, not just, you know, a tear came down his cheek. It actually says, the word means he burst into tears to weep out loud, to sob deeply. This was the same word that's used in, in Mark 5.38 to describe how the family members who were, uh, who were mourning and crying over the death of the, the centurion's daughter, where they were, we're told that they were wailing and crying loudly. In fact, Jesus has to tell them, be quiet, doesn't he? And the same word is here. 
This is not just Jesus, you know, a little tear down the cheek, a little tear in his eye. This is Jesus weeping, grieving for the city of Jerusalem. The city that he loved, but the city that he knew would reject him. The city that, that didn't get it. No matter where he looked, he found cause for weeping. He looked back across the nation of Israel, the history, and, and saw wasted opportunities. He saw in the city and the people there a spiritual ignorance and, and blindness. He saw in the leaders of that, of that time Spiritual ignorance. Religious activity that accomplished very little. And he saw the terrible judgment that was coming to the city, the temple, the nation. We can't help but wonder how he weeps for the things that are happening in our world today. But do we feel what Jesus feels? Are we willing to let our hearts be broken for those whom Jesus' heart is broken? Do we break our hearts for the hurting, for the wandering, for the lost? Do we break our hearts like Jesus did and does? Do we have that compassion that Jesus had? And finally, fourthly, the other theme that is, as Jesus looks out at Jerusalem and laments its lostness, he says, if only, if only you had known on this day what would bring you peace. And the fourth theme is this openness Brackets, to receive all that Jesus offers, close brackets. The pain he felt for the, the people of the time and for the people of Jerusalem was that they, they didn't see it. They didn't receive what they could have done. If only you had known on this day what would bring you peace. If only you would receive what God had for you. What God has for you. If only you would just be open. I always love that. that um, there's those two Old Testament phrases in there. Hardness of heart or stiffness of neck. <laughs> are we open to receive what Jesus <coughs> has for us? Or are we like those people of that time who turned away? Jesus had often offered salvation to the people, but they rejected it. And they lost out on real peace. Sometimes the gospel gets very personal. And the challenge is, will, will you receive all that Jesus has for you? 
are you willing and open to receive all that Jesus has for you? As we look upon the cross again on Friday, as we think of of what Jesus went through, being nailed to that cross, maybe we ask that, challenge ourselves. Am I ready to receive? Am I open to receive what Jesus has for me? All that Jesus has for me? In Matthew's uh, version of the Palm Sunday story, we read that the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The word stirred is a word from which we get our word seismic. I pray that as we go through this week, that we might be stirred. that we might be stirred to a new level of obedience, that we might be stirred to a new level of generosity, that we might be stirred to a, a new level of compassion, and that we might be stirred to a new level of openness to what God has for you. Let's pray.